Hi, this is Nicole Hemsoth, editor of HPC Wire, here with today's edition of Soundbite, our regular interview series featuring researchers, thought leaders, and newsmakers in the world of high-performance computing. Today we'll be talking about power and storage constraints for exascale class simulations with Jim Ahrens, visualization team leader at Los Alamos National Laboratory. We'll discuss these problems in the context of costs per insight and touch on some of the novel ways to make sure that cost is kept as low as possible using in situ and other approaches. So thanks for taking time today. In your research, you focus on some specific power and storage constraints for exascale class simulations. I think a lot of the power limitations are clear, but let's focus on where the storage piece of your research fits in. Okay. You know, if you look at technology trends and storage, um, it is the case that, that storage is not, you know, the, the Moore's law of storage, that performance curve is not going up as fast as, as the um, compute is. And so we're just going to see less capacity bandwidth, um, et cetera, in, in comparison to the types of, of compute speeds that we can get. So let's talk about how this fits into the idea of cost per insight in terms of power and storage used. Can you explain that concept and how that's practically implemented or considered when, when you're looking at some of these very large-scale simulations? I came up with the idea of a cost per insight because I think one of the notions in HPC is, is that, that we're missing a little bit is a budget. So, so if you think about traditional HPC, what's, what's happened in a post-process, what's happened in, in visualization and analysis is we've, we said, okay, well, we can do post-processing. And the concept was you could save everything to disk. You know, you had your checkpoint restarts, which was just sort of a natural way to save things, get fault tolerance, and you saved everything. And so you go back and you could ask any question you wanted and this and that. And at some level, that's sort of a false metaphor because you're really saving time, time steps. So you're saving, you know, you're saving all your data every, and time steps that might be, um, you know, every hundredth time step or every two hundredth time step, and essentially you're losing temporal accuracy when you do that. And one of the things I've noticed with simulations is they're they're actually as as these different um, constraints happen, you know, they're actually lengthening that window. But what I wanted to say was, okay, well, if we think about it as there is a budget, whatever it is, you might have a really fast storage system, and so you'd have a high budget. You could save a lot of stuff. But if you have a slow storage system, you might have a, a lower budget. And so you need to sort of ask yourself, okay, well, what, is, what, is my, what am I trying to do? And how am I going to um, save my data? And what's that going to cost me? What, am I, what, am I, what is my goal, and how much does that cost me in terms of achieving my goal? So, so an idea might be instead of saving every um, hundredth time step, you might save uh, samples of these variables at different rates and different times, depending on the analysis question that you're asking. Mm -hmm. What do these costs per insight look like in terms of real dollars, and what do they really mean practically to researchers as they, they set about uh, evaluating their application or, or what it's going to require? You know, we're, we're exploring that right now in our research, but I think, I think the key point is that, that um, there is a cost per insight. And so what we're trying to do, so, so giving you an example of that, if you know, if we, if we imagine an exascale machine, Right, and and the power is the thing that we're measuring instead of flops. So we say, look, you you can go run your your um, code, but you can only have this much power associated with it, or you're going to pay. You have power units, you know, and, and you get this many power units. You're going to have to worry a lot about, say, moving data, which is a really expensive, um, power-hungry operation. And so you're going to say, well, gee, maybe I shouldn't be saving all this data out to disk because that's going to be really expensive from a power perspective. And so what kind of insight, why am I saving all this data to disk? What am I going to get out of that? Maybe if I just saved a movie to disk 
or if I saved um, some product like some geometry to disk or, um, you know, I, if an event goes off, if I have a signal that says, oh, when the temperature exceeds this, I'll save this, I'll take a bunch of um, imagery and I'll save that to disk, you know, that's going to be a lot more effective, cost effective, than just sort of trying to save everything, which, is, which seems like the current model right now. So a lot of what you're saying then can be addressed or at least considered in the context of new approaches to visualization and analysis and even storage um, using a different way of, of handling and working on that data. Uh, you call this in situ, obviously, an analysis. Can you describe that in some detail and how that fits into what we just talked about? Yes. Um, so, so simulations have been doing in situ analysis for years um, from what, what the concept would be is you'd run your simulation, you'd get to a uh, stopping point, you know, say a time step had, had gone by, and then you do some analysis. You might take an average or you might um, put out a frame of a video or you, you know, might do something like that. What we're trying to do is um, generalize that in the sense of having a, a full-featured package available for people to do their analysis in. And, and this is going to occur when the simulation is running while the data is resident in memory. And so one thing that to keep in mind, one, one difference is there's a number of differences that, that that creates. One is that may be the only time that that data really exists. You know, that, that it's, it's sort of the data for that particular run, um, you know, may never be written to disk or may never be there again. So it's, it's sort of worthwhile. You actually have a much greater opportunity as a visiting analysis person to say, okay, the data is there. What can we do with it? The second point is um, we can create, it's, it's all, one, one sort of challenge for us is that it's automated because these runs, if you think about doing the analysis right now, the, the model we have with post-processing is you assume everything's on disk, you load it in, and then you do something with it, and you can sort of change your mind and this and that. In, the, in this case, you're doing it while your sim is running, and that may take you know, weeks or months, and you're probably not going to sit there and be changing the analysis associated with your run over that time. You'd like much more automated systems that that sort of um, track and whatever. A nice metaphor that I think about is if you think about what happens in physical experiments, um, this, this is what they do. They create detectors and they have runs and they know what they're looking for. So it's, it's definitely much more of a model of what is the scientific question we're asking, what detectors can we put in place to see if we have those answers, and then during the run, those detectors will run and um, sort of gather the data you need so that you can do this post-processing analysis. This is not to say that you can't do um, interactive or exploratory viz after the fact. It just means you have to think harder about it and you have to sort of figure out what those pieces are that you are exploring. Mm -hmm. um, and so you might save subsets or uh, particular variables or particular ways of looking at things uh, based right. on what you want to do. And and one one concept along these lines is if you want some other data you know, you might run your simulation again. If you have a different scientific question to ask, you might run your simulation again. A, um, a very good data compression is a simulation because the simulation itself is fairly small. You want to generate the data again, you run it again, you get different results out. Right. And, and you've set forth some, some general guidelines at this point anyway, including you know, data reduction and prior, prioritization. Can you talk a little bit about what some of these approaches look like? Yes. Uh, so... So the the concept is is while you're doing while you're doing the run, you're getting essentially a stream of data. And and what's interesting to me is how that sort of relates. In the past, we thought, oh, well, we're we're um, a unique uh, 
you know, this is a unique thing. We have this big, mass amounts of data that are post-processing. But once you start thinking about it as a stream, then you need to sort of you need to sort of think in the way that that many people in networking think and real-time systems, where you have a stream coming in, and you need to identify, you know, what's what's high priority, what what events are high priority, and what what can I throw away? You have to you're sort of doing a data triage on the fly, deciding what's there, deciding what's important and what's not important. Um, one thing you can think about, one thing we've we've done already is um, we've looked at uh, we're looking at entropy. So we we take the entropy of a data set, we're looking at all the time steps, and then we just create a buffer of high entropy. So we have an entropy metric, and we save out the data sets that have the highest entropy. Because that buffer is fixed in size, we just fill that up with the with over the entire run. You just sort of uh, throw out the ones that have lower entropy, and in the end, you essentially have sort of like a movie trailer for your simulation, which is all the phase changes that occur with the highest entropy. And that sort of shows you the different. You can just see the various places where where um, things are happening and changes are occurring. Right. Oh, that's an interesting concept. I, I like the idea of the movie tra movie trailer for simulations. That's that's great. How, how does this fit into uh, increasingly complex exascale class simulation workflows. I mean, we're talking about lots of added complexity across the stack, some new hardware approaches, storage approaches, memory, you name it. Where, where is this going to fit in, and what do you see happening with this idea? I think that, that there's, some good, there's some good reasons to do this from an exascale perspective. There aren't, in, at least in, in the way I'm thinking about it, although people are thinking hard about um, you know, having this, the viz and analysis run concurrently with the simulation. At least within this notion, everything occurs within the sim, simplifying what's what's going on. You know, so you don't have you don't have to worry about many many jobs running and then stepping on each other and this and that. These jobs are running, um, and then the notion of the in situ is you're wanting to do things. It, it fits within this architecture because, you know, you're doing. Um, your manipulation of the data when it's resident, you know, in the in registers and things like that that you care about on their on the simulation data structures instead of sort of writing it out in some format, reading it back in, and spending a lot of energy trying to um, sort of move things around and and restructure it and this and that. You're doing it right right um, within those notions. So all those sort of hardware um, optimizations that you're going to have in Exascale, this this sort of says yes. Um, we know those things are going to occur, but we're going to try and make our analysis occur um, at the lowest cost that we possibly can. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, so, just personally, you've, you've seen a lot of trends come and go. Uh, what are you What are you most excited about when it comes to these advancements in architectures for exascale class computing? Given Given your work and simulations in particular, what are you really looking forward to? I think that that from a simulation perspective. I think the notion of sampling and uncertainty is, is sort of key. I actually think we need to um, rethink how we do simulation in general from sort of a, a statistical and um, uncertainty quantification perspective. So if, if, you, if, you, if you sort of buy into the notion that what we're really doing, if you have an exascale machine, right, it's 10 to, you're generating 10 to the 18th, conceptually, right, you, you're thinking of exascale class problems, meaning you're dealing with like exabytes of data. You have these 10 to the 18th um, data running around, say, every second or something like that, right? You really have to think about, well, okay, well, we're going to sample that data to answer a question, and we're going to have some knowledge of how much precision we have in that answer. And so you can think about um, having the SIM be this 
sample notion where you say, I want to ask, ask this question, I want to know about this particular phenomenon, and actually have that notion of sampling, well, if I sample that, well, it goes all the way back through the analysis, all the way back through the sim, to what science do I need to do, what, what sort of operations do I need to run to get this particular, um, say, piece, if you think in an AMR sense, right, this, this area refined to answer that question that just occurred, and then how many different ensembles of those do I need to run to get the, the confidence that I need that that's really the answer I'm looking for. I mean, I think we sort of, we, we go the other way where we run these huge simulations and then we try and mine them at the end. If we were to drive them from the questions we're asking and drive the sampling back through the, the process, I think we'd have a very different um, view of, of how, how we do scientific simulation. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Jim Ahrens from Los Alamos National Laboratory, thank you so much for taking time. We probably only skimmed the surface on this topic. We'll definitely have you back on. Thanks again. Great. Thank you.